What the hell is up, everyone? My name is Jamie Logan, and today I am here with Paul from Magic Valley. This company is something that I think could be one of the only things that actually saves us. So today we're going to talk all about cultivated meat, what it is, how it works, and when we should expect to see it on the supermarket shelves. Paul, welcome. Thanks for having me, Jamie. Great to speak to you. Of course. Thanks for making the time. You're all the way across the world. So it's completely, I think it's nighttime there. It's very early here. Yeah, it's, I'm in Melbourne in Australia. It's, uh, it's actually midnight here. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing everything that you know with us because this is, I think, the future. And so why don't you just break down what cultivated meat is for those people that may not know? Sure. So cultivated meat is basically um, a real meat product um, just uh, developed in a a more efficient, more humane and more sustainable way. So basically every company has a a slightly different process, but um, describing our process, we basically take a a sample of cells from a living animal, obviously goes on, continue living its normal natural life. Uh, And for us, that's just a, a skin scraping from the ear. Now we take those cells into the lab we're then able to reprogram those cells into a stem cell. And we reprogram them into a particular type of stem cell, which is called an induced pluripotent stem cell. Now that type of cell can become any cell or tissue type in the body. And so what we do then is we add some nutrients to those cells within the lab. So primarily glucose and amino acids um, and everything that we add to the cells is either plant-based or synthetically derived. So um, there's absolutely no products of animal origin at anywhere in the process. Um, and so we add add those nutrients to the cells. Um, we grow them up primarily into to muscle and fat at the moment, but we could grow up, um, as I said, any cell or tissue type. So you think what goes into a traditional meat product, you know, there might be, you know, connective tissue or bone, for example, blood, et cetera, um, but primarily muscle and fat at the moment. So we grow those up uh, in what's called a bioreactor, which is just like really a large vat. It has a little uh, impeller in it that spins around um, and the cells basically grow as spheroids. So they attach to themselves and they just grow up. Uh, and then we harvest those cells, um, combine them together um, to create a real meat product. As I said, primarily from muscle and fat. And at the moment, we're just creating mincemeat products of what we would what we would consider an unstructured product. So um, most of your listeners are probably familiar with a ground meat product. We call it a mincemeat product here in Australia. But um, unlike, you know, a steak or a chop or, uh, or a drumstick or, you know, something like that. So, yeah, that, that's pretty much um, cultivated meat and, and how we do it. It's so incredible. I mean, wow, just to think that this is the future, this is something that doesn't need to cause harm to any animals and people who want to eat meat can still eat meat and enjoy it and not be responsible for killing and taking a life of another living being. So that being said, how long does it usually take for those cells to be harvested? I know, I guess it depends on how big the bioreactor is, and but can you give us like a general timeline of how things work? Yeah, so you're right. It does depend on um, you know the amount of cells that that we start with, so that we that we basically seed into the bioreactor, and then um, uh, how long we we leave them in there for. So it, it's typically it's typically around seven days. It can be up to twenty one days, um, depending on the the component. But yeah, but between one and three weeks basically um, until we're ready to harvest, and yeah, good to go. 
That's incredible. Wow. So, and it's only going to get faster. I mean, as these companies start to grow because you, so you're one of the, I guess, how many cultivated meat companies are out there? Yeah. So there's quite a few now. Um, I was thinking about this the other day, actually, in terms of uh, end-to-end companies, um, there could be maybe 30 or 40 maybe across the world, um, something like that. And there's obviously other uh, companies just just fulfilling um, that make up the industry, but are fulfilling just one component of the industry. So they might be just making, you know, media, what we add to the cells, or they're just making bioreactors, et cetera. But yeah, there's, there's probably, I think about 30 or 40, uh, in total. Amazing. And so what would you say, uh, Magic Valley, how are you guys different from some of the other cultivated meat companies that are out there? Yeah, so um, we've probably got two key differentiators. One of them is in the technology that we use, so the type of stem cell that we use. Um, a lot of companies use an older uh, technology or, or a different type of stem cell that um, isn't as isn't as scalable um, and can't turn into um, any cell or tissue type other than the the cell that it comes from. So if you take a muscle biopsy, it can only become muscle. If you take a fat biopsy, it can only become fat, etc. Um, with our technology, it can become, you know, as I said, any cell or tissue type. Our cells also multiply indefinitely as well. So we don't have to do anything to the cells to get them to continue multiplying. So um, our process is completely um, non-GMO, um, which some other companies have some have some issues with in trying to get that, that older technology or those different cell types to get those cells to continue to grow. Um, and we also don't, as I mentioned, we don't use any animal products. So not, not only... Um, no animal products, but um, some people might be familiar with the term uh, FBS, which, which stands for fetal bovine serum. Um, and without without getting into the gory details, um, the explanation or the or the definition of that is um, blood that's taken from the fetus of a, a pregnant cow when it's slaughtered in the animal agriculture process. And so, unfortunately, within the industry, there's a lot of companies still using that because you know um, it, it does get the cells to grow. That's what the cells would normally grow in, um, obviously, being blood and c- contains a lot of nutrients but uh, we don't use any of that so we don't use that we don't use as i mentioned any products of animal origin obviously aside from that um, initial cell scraping so um, we think that's a really important differentiator um, for ourselves as well which is not only a personal you know um, uh, stance that you know that, that that i take but you know as an industry as a whole you know we would love you know everyone else within the industry to to get to that stage as well so there's some challenges, obviously, that come with creating a company in general, but you specifically have challenges faced with both vegans and non-vegans. Some vegans are saying, oh, well, I don't know if this is vegan enough. It's still an animal cell. I don't know if I would eat it. But then you have meat eaters that are saying, oh, well, it's grown in a lab, so I don't want to eat that. So how do you, what would you say to those people? Yeah, great, great challenges that you pointed out. Yes, we, we do have both of those challenges. Um, look, I'm vegan myself, um, so let, let let me start with that. Um, look, I'm not I'm not out there telling vegans that they need to eat this product. Um, I'm just asking you know people that are vegan to have an open mind to this product for people that want to eat meat um, and really want to put it forward as you know a better solution to what's happening in industrialized animal agriculture today and really to consider um, those two options and see which one you know they would prefer for people that that, that want to eat meat so um, you know if you're vegan or vegetarian um, 
and you don't want to try it, that's fine. Like you, you, you don't have to, no, no one's making you. Um, but I just ask you to have an, an open mind. Having said that, you know, a lot of people, and depending on the reason why they are vegan or vegetarian, they would like to eat a meat product. Um, you know, they like the taste um, and, and they would love to, but they don't, whether it's for, you know, concern for animals or concern for the environment or sustainability, climate change, you know, whatever their reason might be. Um, and we feel like, you know, a cultivated meat product would overcome a lot of those um, hurdles or, or objections. Um, and so we think there's there will be some vegans and vegetarians that, that do want to try the product, which is great as as well. Um, on the other side of things, yes, as you as you mentioned, you know, we get pushback um, uh, more so on social media than than anywhere else um, of of people that eat meat who don't want to consider it whatsoever. And look, we know there's going to be a proportion of people who will just flat out refuse to even um, acknowledge the product or acknowledge the benefits of the product or even even consider the product. And again, that's fine. You know, I, we can't, I'm not out here trying to force people to, to eat it. What I'm presenting really, or what we're presenting really is a, what we think is a better option for meat eaters. So it's the same taste, it's the same flavor, it's the same texture, um, it's the same mouthfeel as the products that they're used to consuming. However, not only can we um, remove any um, ethical issues around um, slaughtering animals, but we can also create a much healthier product as well for the meat eating consumer. So we can create products that, for example, have a higher protein content or have less saturated fat, have more omega-3s, have um, uh, additional vitamins and minerals. So we think the product itself stands alone um, as a superior product. Um, at scale, we'll also be able to produce it much more cheaply than traditionally farmed um, meat products. Uh, and it's also better for the environment as well. So we use a lot less land, a lot less water, produce a lot less greenhouse gas emissions. Um, and so for me, it really should become the obvious choice for people that, that want to eat meat. Um, you know, most 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 food products come out of a lab today. Um, it's 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 really no different. It's also the other things I should point out. You know, there's there's no hormones involved. There's no antibiotics. It's created in a sterile environment. There's you know much lower risk of pathogens. Um, so really, uh, it really is just you know should really be just a superior meat product for for people that want to eat meat. Right. You mentioned pathogens and you mentioned hormones and all these chemicals. It's like people are actually ingesting that. You see people that that have outbreaks of Campylobacter and Salmonella and all of these animal-borne pathogens and diseases. And it's like we can completely avoid that, which is so awesome. And I think for me personally, I think I would try it because I would want to know what I'm – giving to people or telling people to eat but i feel so good on a whole foods plant-based diet that like i don't know if my body needs it or i just don't i don't really miss meat at all i barely even eat the mock meats because i'm like i've just learned to appreciate the taste of a brussels sprout you know so it's um yeah, but I think that this is so freaking awesome. And I think people also have to remember and keep in mind that this is not a new technology. People in, in hospitals have been using this technology for many years. How do, Who first came up with the idea? Like, what is the history of cultivated meat? Do you know? Yeah, great. It, it, it's a great question. Um, and, and yes, you're right. The technology um, has been around for, for quite some time. Um, 
Uh, the person that's really considered, I guess, the 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 gold, the godfather of, of, of cultivated meat, um, is is the father of a of a of a, who is now a friend of mine, um, Ira van Eelen, um in the Netherlands, and and her father uh, Willem really came up with um, uh, the 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 ideas behind the technology and using the technology to create cultivated meat products, uh, and that was and 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 what he had developed was eventually. Um, passed on and i think the, the the patents and the technology were uh were actually bought by uh josh tetrick at uh good meat now um and so that that was many 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 years ago and i know um ira is a really strong proponent you know of what her father had um uh done back in the day and and to this day you know really happy to see you know cultivated meat come into fruition and then um probably um sort of in between those times um dr mark post um in uh, uh at, at moza meat um created the the first um i guess most widespread and most widely known uh cultivated meat burger which was basically 10 years to the day um from from now so um it has the technology has been around a while as you said it's been used quite extensively in the life sciences industry um and the technology is now really being you know adapted to you know create products for human consumption in the, using the basically the same methods so what is the process of scaling this to the point where we can get it in supermarkets. I remember in one of our last conversations, you were saying you're working on getting it approved by Australia's FDA or explain that process. Um, yeah, sure. So they're, they're probably two slightly separate issues. So scale, scaling up and um, also regulatory approval. So yeah, the regulator here uh, in Australia is um, Food Standards Australia New Zealand, um, which gets shortened to for SANS, which no one ever understands what you're saying when you say that. So I don't know why I mentioned that. But um, so yes, our regulator here, look, yeah, basically, look, and, and, and in many jurisdictions, you know, there's existing frameworks in place. Um, typically, cultivate, cultivated meat is considered a a novel food product, which basically just means, you know, a new food product that um, hasn't been approved previously. And you simply have to go through go through that process. And what that really entails is just a whole lot of safety data. Um, you know, regulators want to make sure that the product is, you know, safe for consumption. Um, it's not going to make people sick. You know, any of the components in it, um, you know, are safe, obviously. Um, and in Australia, that's around a 12-month process. Um, and we'll be looking to, to formally enter into that um, quite soon. Um, and as you're probably well aware, and the listeners may be aware that, you know, there are only three products approved for sale um, so far anywhere in the world, um, one in Singapore and, and, and two in the US. Um, and the other, yes, the other question you asked is around scalability. So, you know, a lot of that comes down um, what we think is to the type of technology um, that the that companies companies are using and actually how scalable that is because obviously um, you know you've got to grow up the cells in in large enough quantities which means you, means you've got to move into um, larger bioreactors um, and you know find you know that maximum capacity and then you need to scale out those bioreactors so you know you, know, you need to have multiples of those um, one of the interesting things I guess you know over the past um, particularly the last five years is the the price of that equipment has really come down substantially. So, um, you know, companies that, you know, may have been a few years ahead, um, you know, paid, you know, really expensive prices for, for, for that, those pieces of equipment. Now the industry started to grow this become, you know, more players in the industry, you know, the price of all those things has come down and, and it really goes for, for everything within the cultivated meat industry, because it's been adopted from life sciences typically where, 
you know, you're only producing very small quantities um, and they're typically, um, you know, quite large margins in terms of, you know, consumables and um, pieces of equipment and those sorts of things. Well, now there's a whole new industry that, you know, needs to mass produce. And so um, that, that cost curve has come down quite rapidly. So what really needs to happen now is, you know, um, there needs to be an adoption of the most scalable technologies and there needs to be, you know, a little bit of infrastructure spend um, to get those facilities, obviously, you know, up and running, get the regulatory approvals is obviously the next step um, in between before you get to, you know, mainstream adoption. But no, there's certainly, certainly lots been happening, particularly in the last few years. Yeah, because I mean, it's one, it's something that I've heard of and continue to hear of. I don't know if it's just because I'm in that world or in that space, but I'd also think there would be a lot of money that would have to go into marketing the product as well, because to have consumers understand what this technology is and to have them not, like the meat industry is probably already putting out some propaganda about how, oh, it's like lab this, lab that. Like, Yes, that's uh, that's definitely happening. Um, but you're right. There's a really large education piece around it because um, a lot of the people aren't even familiar with the term cultivated meat. And then, you know, you, you, you explain it a little bit and you say, oh, you know, you might have heard of it, you know, called clean meat or lab grown meat. And they're like, oh, lab grown. Yes, I you know, I, I've heard of that. And so... Then you have to, um, you know, once they, they've got that understanding, then you, you know, they'll be like, oh, you know, you might get a, you know, an ick reaction or, you know, I'd never eat that sort of thing. But then when you want to explain the benefits of the product, you know, how it's produced, the, the transparency in the process, which I think is really important for people, you know, when they finally um, do sit down and, you know, actually uh, thoughtfully think about where their food comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that becomes really important to people, you know, when you when you sit down and, and have a conversation with them about it. Um, so that transparency piece is really important. You explain the benefits, you explain the health benefits, you explain um, the benefits to the environment, and obviously the benefits to, to animals. Um, and then you tell them that you'll, you'll be able to produce it more cheaply. Well, then people's attitude changes actually, mm-hmm. actually really quickly. Um, even more so if you give them a taste. Um, we're lucky enough to be able to do tastings here in Australia. Um, and people that were skeptics beforehand, even even when you explain all those, you know, the, the logical reasons for it, um, they're still skeptical. You finally give them a taste and they're like, this doesn't, this doesn't taste any different. I couldn't tell any difference. And so that's the step that you get them over the line. So look, there is like, there is a huge marketing piece. There is a huge educational piece. And right. look, it, it is a new technology. Anything new, you know, is typically scary to people. Change is, you know, hard and, and unfamiliar. Um, but when they get that familiar taste of, of the actual of the actual product, um, people tend to come around r- really quickly. So, look, it is going to be a process, and it's and it's not going to happen overnight. But I think it's I think it's a really important piece to the puzzle. Well, you have a huge supporter and a huge fan in me because it's it's the way when I deal with all the people on social media and they're commenting, oh, well, my body needs meat, my body needs nutrition, you know, then I'm like, okay, well, we're, we're coming for you. We, we will have products that will be able to give you whatever quote unquote nutrition you need. I mean, I always ask people, I'm like, name one nutrient or name, name one, one thing that you can't get from plants, from a whole foods plant-based diet. And they don't even know. They can't even name it. It's just like things that come out of their ass. And I'm like, all right, well, I can't help you there if you can't even like actually provide me with the science and facts that you're talking about. So we're dealing with brain, people that have been brainwashed for many years, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So what is your personal connection to veganism and how did you go, you go and make the switch? Um, 
great question. So I went vegetarian as a teenager um, and I grew up just at home, um, you know, hardworking single mom. I spent a lot of time at home, um, you know, by myself with our animals and, you know, really just developed, uh, you know, a, a connection with animals who were my family, who were my friends. Um, but was eating meat because that was how I was brought up. Like, you know, obviously as a, as a kid, you know, you, you don't know any different. Um, and then had a revelation one day when, um, you know, there was some food being prepared and I'm like, hang on this food that, you know, this it was meat. So this, this, this meat has come from an animal, which is just like this animal that's sitting over here next to me. And at that point I just immediately went, okay, no, well, this, this is no longer for me. Um, and I clearly remember that incident. And, and, and it's funny because when I talked to you know, other people have similar stories. There's typically like that that turning point, just a, this isolated incident that just sticks with you forever. Um, so at that point, I went. You know, I gradually went vegetarian, um, and I was vegetarian for for 20 years. And I thought, you know, I don't, you know, I don't eat meat. I'm 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 doing enough. I'm not I'm not killing any animals. You know, no no animal is dying. I'm like, you know, if I have an egg or if I have milk or you know, that's the, the animal doesn't die for that. So I'm I'm doing enough. Um, which was really ignorant, obviously, because then someone, um, it was actually my, uh, well, my, my girlfriend at the time, who's no longer my girlfriend, um, happened to be vegan um, uh, when I met her. And she's like, oh, do, do you know what happens in the, the egg and dairy industries? And I'm like, oh, no, not not intimately, not not really. And she's like, well, why don't you just have a look at these these videos and, and see what happens to, you know, male, male chicks? Um you know, the, on the day or the day after that the, they're born, and and why don't you uh, have a look at um, you know the dairy industry and you know how milk's produced, and um, you know you soon see what happens to you know bobby calves and 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 what actually happens in in the dairy industry and and how it operates. And so um, I immediately went vegan at that point. So um, a lot of people say to me like, oh, you know, did you go? You know, what was the process? And I, and I used to say like, oh no, I just switched like overnight. I just went vegetarian to vegan, but it, it actually took twenty years um in, in between time and so yeah look that was 10 years ago now and um yeah you know best decision i best decision i ever made and you know, as many people say i wish I, I wish i had have made it sooner yeah it's super interesting because i have a similar story of when i made the connection to vegetarianism and i was sitting in the car with my dog and there was a pig livestock truck that went by and i just remember thinking you know what's the difference between these two animals in any way that actually matters. You know, my dog was so loved and cared for and then these animals were headed to be killed and have their lives taken from them. So it was that like awakening. And then you think, as you said, you didn't know what happened to the egg and the dairy industries. And that's the thing. There's a reason they don't play this footage on the supermarket shelves because they knew that if more people saw what actually goes on behind the scenes, that they would not want to buy them. So I guess my next question for you is what is the next steps with Magic Valley? So you're going to get your certification and then talk about the timeline scale of things and then how people can help you specifically. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, the next two things for us, yeah, getting getting that regulatory approval, um, you know, which will sort of be 12 to 18 months um, from from now, which will sort of push us into to early 2015, at least here in Australia anyway, uh, and basically scaling up production. So we've produced um, prototypes for, for both a, a lamb and a, and a pork product. Um, we'll be looking at um, other species as well, particularly seafood really interests us for you know a number of reasons. Um, so that's something that, that we'll be looking at next year. But um, yeah, getting regulatory approval, 
regulatory approval for those those earlier products, um, and then scaling up. So proving out, you know, that we can produce, um, uh, you know, large quantities that will be able to, um, you know, get to that mainstream uh, adoption. And so um, they're really the, the the next two key things for us. Outside of that, we'll be looking at the US as as probably the next market. For a couple of reasons, um, obviously there's been regulatory approvals already in the US, um, so the environment for that is is really well set up. Uh, and obviously the US is a huge market as well, whether that's um, um, you know from the commercial perspective or from just you know the amount of um, meat that that's consumed, and so and you know obviously having the impact. So um, they're, they're the next two things for. Um, for for us as well as you know further product development, we will start working you know probably in the next two years on those more structured products. Um, so not just the ground meat products, but you know more the more structured products as well, um, and really building out the team. So yeah, that that's what we'll be looking at. Um, yeah, for anyone that wants to help. Um, <laughs> I feel guilty saying this, but we're, we're always raising money. So, you know, it does cost money to, to do all these um, activities um, and, and they're not super cheap. Um, so, and we're obviously not revenue generating, you know, so we don't, we don't have a product um, on the market. You know, we're not a revenue generating business as most companies in the space um, aren't either. And so, um, yes, yeah, so always, always raising investment. That's one way. Um, spreading the message. So getting active on on social media is really helpful as well. Um, you know, if the, the listeners or the viewers, you know, want to follow us on social media, we put out a lot of content, uh, particularly educational pieces, um, you know, around the process, around what we're doing um, and around the benefits. Mm. Um, and it sounds, it sounds silly, but really, you know, liking, commenting, sharing on our content you know, really does um, obviously help with the algorithms, helps get the message out. Um, and it's really, you know, it really does help supporters. So um, yeah, they're probably, they're probably two, two, two ways that, you know, people could help out if they wanted to. Great. No, definitely toss you guys a follow. Can you just actually spell and say the handle? Magic. Yeah, so it's you, you caught me off guard there because our handle's different on um, on, on different. most channels, but um, unfortunately, but um, I think it's uh, on Instagram. I think we're uh, Magic Valley Food, and on uh, um, or it might be Magic Valley Foods, and then on Twitter because there's one less character. It's Magic Valley Food. Okay. Uh, LinkedIn, you can find us as Magic Valley. Uh, same on Facebook. Um, yeah, sorry, yeah. I, I should I should have been better no, prepared no. for that question. I'll definitely link all of your social platforms below in the notes section. And another question that I had for you before we begin to wrap things up is we were talking about a few weeks ago how there's certain companies like Beyond Meat and Impossible Meat that use two different ways of marketing. So when they before they came to market, I think you had Impossible Foods that was like they were debuting at different restaurants or fast food chains so people could go to like a fast food chain and try the beyond meat i mean the impossible meat and then the beyond meat was different because you found it in supermarkets can you talk a little bit about that and why somebody would maybe want to go one way run one route or the other in terms of the marketing yeah yeah so look i mean there is there's a whole lot of different approaches. I know um, Beyond really uh, relied heavily on uh, influencers as well and celebrity influencers in terms of um, you know building up building up that brand. 
Um, look, there, there's definitely two very distinct schools of thoughts in terms of, you know, do you, do you, uh, you know, start off, um, you know, small and through, through restaurants or do you go, um, you know, through retail channels and, and look for that um, widespread adoption? Look, I think both have merit. Um, we've been talking about this a lot ourselves um, lately as well. Um, at least initially, like us and all the other cultivated meat companies, um, you know, are going to be small scale. And so, you know, at that smaller scale, you know, it kind of makes sense that if you can only produce a smaller amount, then you might only just be in restaurants or, you know, you might start off in food service channels. Um, but once you reach scale, obviously, to get that mainstream adoption, you know, you'll be pushing out, you know, wider through food service channels and then obviously through retail and, um, you know, fast moving consumer goods, um, uh, QSRs, you know, quick service restaurants and, and those sorts of things as well. So look, I think, I think for us, you know, it, it, it'll depend on, on, on scale um, and how quickly we can, you know, scale up and, and produce enough because, you know, certainly in the initial stages, um, demand is going to far outweigh the supply that's possible. Um, so yeah, look, so there's obviously, yeah, there's a couple of different approaches. Um, it's a little way off for us, but we have been talking about it and it will be interesting to see, you know, obviously in the U S there's, you know, there's two companies with, um, approved products, um, and they're looking to, um, you know, get those sales up and happening now. So, um, yeah, we'll just wait and see what they do and yeah, we'll keep an eye on that as well. I think. Because sometimes with these companies, you, you see a technology that, looks like it's about to come to market and then lo and behold they go off the market for 10 years and then they come back why does that happen huh. yeah great great question um i'm not sure like i could only i could only i could only guess um and and i i, I my guess would be you know whether that's scalability um in terms of you know we're able to develop the technology but we can't get it to a scale where it's you know either doable or whether it's commercially viable um so you know it might be too expensive once they get to that point um or they have to change something within that process which means they've got to you know maybe get some sort of re-regulation or they have to use um you know an ingredient for example that you know it's really expensive or you know can't work or won't work or yeah you know, i mean it, it really it really could be anything and look i am only guessing but you know i think there are um you know some potential hurdles around that you know as we've seen um, you know, already with the with the two companies that have the three cultivated meat products already, you know, they're they're not mass producing. Um, the first one was approved in Singapore about three years ago now. Um, you know, and it's still, you know, it's still not, you know, um, you know, being being widely um produced and consumed. Um, and obviously with the approvals in the US, only only recently, obviously, sort of the last um six months. Um, you know, they're not, they're not, they're not, you know, you know they're not available in restaurants and, uh, sorry, in supermarkets and those sorts of things. You know, I think it's, mm -hmm. um, you know, only, only one or two restaurants at the mm -hmm. moment. So, um, yeah, so look, I think there's a rush to, you know, get those approvals and get those products regulated, but then, you know, manufacturing, you know, product, um, marketing, manufacturing, distribution, you know, it's a whole, it's a whole different game. And so, um. Um, yeah, maybe that maybe that's why. Right. Well, I really hope that things will start to speed up with cultivated meat because I do think you know every single day animals are losing their lives, and so um, and in terms of you know veganism in general, I do want people to understand that like we are vegan because we don't want to see animals be harmed. Right. That's 
why I think we're vegan at our core. You could call yourself plant-based for the health aspect of things, but we're vegan because we don't want to see animals be harmed. And that is why this technology is so essential and so important because we're giving people the option to eat meat without causing harm to animals. So that is such a win. Uh, and, and I think we, we need all the vegans to be on board and support this. You don't have to eat it, but at least to support the technology. So absolutely. And yeah, sorry. And no, I was just going to say, look, look, our support, you know, particularly, um, you know, locally in Australia has, has been really, has been really, um, uh, strong from, um, the vegan community. And, And it was something I was concerned about initially, obviously being, being vegan myself and, you know, coming you know, coming coming to them with this idea of, of of cultivated meat, and it was it was a concern of mine in terms of how the you know community would react. But um, it's been overwhelmingly you know supportive, um, which is which has been amazing. And you know, I hope that's the same in you know every geography you know across the world. Yeah, I think so. I think I think it's only going to become something that's more known and widespread. And you know what? When you have somebody like I guess Kim Kardashian taking a bite into it then you'll see more people start to eat it. That's just how our society works, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway, was there anything else that you wanted to add that we didn't get to touch on today? Um, No, not really. Look, yeah, as you said, you know, it's really about, you know, um, educating um, and making sure that everyone, you know, is familiar with the process and, um, you know, how it all works and, you know, what's involved and, you know, what are the the potential benefits. And, um, you know, I think that's just the, you know, the, the start of a conversation, really. And so, you know if we can get that message across you know i think i think we're doing our job well thank you so much paul thanks for all you're doing and guys definitely go check out magic valley check out paul's work and one of these days we'll have to do a whole big test taste testing here in new york that would be so funny like a fun like a big dinner party or something love it absolutely can't wait amazing well thanks so much guys and until next time i will see you around bye